0: Section 45 of the Letters of Madame de savigny to her daughter and friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Letters to Président de Moussa continued. Letter 8. Paris, November the 26th, 1686. I thought, sir, that in purchasing an office, nothing was necessary but to find money but I see that the manner of giving and receiving it is also to be considered. You will soon be quit of this embarrassment from the desire you always have to contribute to your own tranquillity. Good heavens, how rational and how worthy of you is this disposition, and how just, too, is the choice of your company when we come to speak and point out its excellence, if we judge from appearances. It is very superior to our parliaments, I can fancy I hear Monsieur Madame de Venet say a thousand kind things to you and receive yours in return. When this princess mentions me, tell her it is impossible to be more at her service than I am. You have a sister of Madame de La Troche with you who is very amiable. The eldest will place all the attentions you pay her to her own account. I have presented your compliments to the Chevalier de Grignon, who has received them graciously. He pointed out to the Prince, footnote the Prince de Conti. It has been seen in the letter of June the thirteenth, sixteen eighty four, that Monsieur de Mousseau was judge in a lawsuit, in which Monsieur de Grignon was engaged with this Prince, and that he was moreover attached to him for other reasons. Back to main text. He pointed out to the prince the silence and discretion of your departure. Nothing can exceed his concern and zeal for your interest. But we can answer for nothing when we are left-handed. What you told me the other day of a certain discourse he held with a certain person makes me exhort you to preserve the noble tranquility I have always witnessed in you on the success of this affair. We only returned from Livre yesterday. The beauty of the weather and the health of my daughter, which has been nearly established there, made us stay out of gratitude. In the two months we have been there, we have not been able to prevail on our friend to give us his company for more than ten days. He has a thousand little affairs there to which he is accustomed. I know nothing of his intentions with respect to his departure. I almost doubt whether the society he meets at Monsieur de Vard's will not prevent him from setting out soon. I assure you I shall reap the advantage of his inclination to do so with pleasure, but I only contribute toward it by my wishes. Pray inform us how Monsieur de Vard finds himself in the midst of this troop of bohemians. I cannot get this vision out of my eyes. We shall have a thousand things to tell you of the son in law. Footnote, Monsieur de Rohan, who had married the daughter of the Count de Vard, back to main text. In short, it struck us the other day that if Homer had been acquainted with him, he would have chosen him, in point of anger, for his Achilles. We have a new prince and a new princess here. Letter 9, Paris, December the 15th, 1686. I wrote you a long letter, sir, more than a month ago, full of friendship, secrets and confidence. I know not what became of it. It lost its way, perhaps, in seeking for you with the States, since you have not answered it. But this will not prevent me from telling you a melancholy and at the same time a pleasing piece of intelligence the death of the prince, which happened the day before yesterday, the eleventh instant, at a quarter after seven in the evening, and the return of the prince de conti de court, to the kindness of the prince who asked this favour of the king in his last moments. The king immediately granted it, and the prince had this consolation on his deathbed, but never was joy drowned in so many tears, Reader's note: The prince who died is Louis de Bourbon, Prince de Condé, brother of the Prince de Conti. He was known as the Great Condé for his military exploits. He retired to the chateau of Chantilly. Back to main text. The Prince de Conti is inconsolable at the loss he has sustained. It could not be greater particularly as he passed the whole time of his disgrace at Chantilly, where he made an admirable use of the understanding and abilities of the prince and drew from the fountainhead all that was to be acquired from so great a master by whom he was tenderly beloved. The prince flew, with a speed that has cost him his life, from Chantilly to Fontainebleau, where Madame de Bourbon was seized with the smallpox in order to prevent the Duke, who had not had this disorder, from nursing her and being with her. reader's note Madame de Bourbon, daughter of Louis Fourteenth. back to main text. For the Duchess, who has always nursed her, would have been sufficient to satisfy him of the care that was taken of her health. He was very ill, and at length died of an oppression with which he was seized, which made him say, as he was on the point of returning to Paris, that he should take a much longer journey. He sent for his confessor, Father Deschamps, and after lying in a state of insensibility for 24 hours and receiving all the sacraments, he died regretted and bitterly lamented by his family and his friends. The king was much afflicted at the event and in short the grief of losing so great a man and so great a hero whose place whole ages will not be able to supply, has been felt by all ranks. A singular circumstance happened three weeks ago, a little before the departure of the prince from Fontainebleau. Venliant, one of his gentlemen, returning from the chase at three o'clock, saw, as he approached the castle, at one of the windows of the armory, an apparition. That is, a man who had been dead and buried. He dismounted and came nearer. He still saw it. His valet, who was with him, said, I see the same, sir, that you see. Velion had been silent that his valet might speak of his own accord. They entered the castle together and desired the keeper to give them the key of the armory. The keeper went with them They found all the windows closed and a silence which had been undisturbed for more than six months. This was told to the prince. He appeared struck with it at first and afterward laughed at it. Everyone heard the story and trembled for the prince. You see what the event has been? Letter 10. Paris, Monday, April twenty ninth, 1687. Though you like my letters, sir, I am delighted that you do. This is one which will be worth a hundred. My robust health was slightly attacked about a month ago by a little colic, a little rheumatism, a little vexation. Consequently, all this might excuse me from writing to you, but I had rather die than another should tell you, that the prince de Conti is at length returned to court. He is this night at Versailles, and the king, like a kind father, has restored him to favour after having exiled him for a while to leave him at leisure to make his own reflections. No doubt he has done so, and the court will be very gay and splendid on the occasion." His Majesty will make several chevaliers at Whitsuntide, but it will be only a family promotion. Monsieur de Chartres, the Duc de Bourbon, the Prince de Conti and Monsieur Maine, but no one else. All the other candidates must be pleased to have patience. But they will not see without modification the adjournment of their hopes, the Duc de Veville is governor to the Duke of Chartres. Madame de Polignac, who is not Mademoiselle Dalarac, made a visit yesterday to Madame de Grignon. Reader's note. The Vicomte de Polignac, son of one of France's most ancient and prominent families, was contemplating marriage with Mademoiselle Dalarac, a daughter of Monsieur de Grignon's first wife the marriage did not take place. The vicomte's father, Monsieur de Montazier, felt cheated when a quote, skilful manoeuvre unquote, by Madame de Grignon diverted half of the sum which was expected to have been part of Mademoiselle Dallarat's dowry to the payment of Monsieur de Grignon's debts. Madame de Savigny thought her daughter's action fully justified, but there was a blazing falling out and Mademoiselle Dalarac left her father's house to live in the household of Monsieur de Montazier. She married the Marquis de Vibray, back to main text. Madame de Polinac, who was not Mademoiselle Dalarac, paid a visit yesterday to Madame de Grignon. She was brilliant, lively, elated with the grandeur of the house of Polignac, fond of talking of the name and All the personages belonging to it. She has taken upon herself the fortune of the two brothers, and has supported generously and courageously the frown and disapprobation of the king. She has employed skilful artifices, and instead of deserting the deserted, like women in general, she has made it a point of honour to reinstate them at court. I could answer for it that she will revive and re-establish this family. This is what Providence had in store for them, and which prevented us from being able to read distinctly what it had written for Mlle Dalarak. Adieu, sir. Love me, for indeed you ought. I love your mind, your worth, your wisdom, your folly, your virtue, your humour, your goodness in short, all that belongs to you, and wish you, and the pretty coffee under your wing, which must afford you so much pleasure and comfort, every possible happiness. All here salute you, except our friend, who knows nothing of this hasty letter. I shall talk of you a great deal with Baudelieu. Madame Dangeau, formerly Bavaria, is very prudent, very amiable, and makes her husband very happy. She might have made him very ridiculous. Letter eleven, Wednesday, March the second, sixteen eighty nine. What things, sir, uh, may not be said, but a period in the history of our monarch is the manner in which he has received the King of England, the presents with which he has loaded him in setting out from hence for Ireland. Vessels at Brest, where he now is, frigates, troops, officers, the Count Davo, as ambassador extraordinary and adviser, and who is also to have care of the troops and money. Two millions on his departure, and as much afterward as he wants. Beside these great things, he has given him his arms, his helmet, his cuirass, which cannot fail of bringing good fortune to him. He has given him arms sufficient for ten or 12,000 men. And as to little conveniences, they are innumerable. Post chaises admirably made, kaleshes, carriage and saddle horses, services of gold and silver, toilets and linen camp beds, magnificent swords of state, swords for service, pistols. In short, everything of every kind that can be thought of. And in embracing him as he bid him adieu, he said to him, You cannot say that I am not affected at your departure. I own to you, however, that I wish never to see you again. But if, unfortunately, you should return, be assured you will find me as you leave me. Nothing could be better said, nothing more just, Generosity, magnificence, magnanimity were never exercised as they have been by His Majesty on this occasion. We hope the Irish War will be a powerful diversion and prevent the Prince of Orange from tormenting us by descents upon our coast. And thus our 300,000 soldiers, our armies, so well stationed everywhere, will only serve to make the King feared without anyone daring to attack him. This is a time of political discussion. I should very much like to hear you talk over these great events. I enclose the opinion of a respectable upholsterer on the questions respecting the furniture of Madame de Molso. But whatever he may say of a gold fringe and double taffetas of curtains, and though there are many such here, nothing is so pretty, so suitable or so cool for the summer as curtains made of these beautiful tapestries, single, and tapestry the same. I've seen them at several houses and admire them exceedingly. Everything must be looped up and plaited, as he directed. For the other kind of furniture you must have damask or brocade." Letter twelve, Grignon, Friday, November tenth, sixteen ninety. Where do you think I am, sir? Did you not know I was in Brittany? Our Corbinelli must have told you so. After having been there sixteen months with my son, I thought it would be very pleasant to spend the winter here with my daughter. This plan of a journey of a hundred and fifty leagues. At first appeared a castle in the air, but affection rendered it so easy that, in fact, I executed it between the 3rd and 24th of October, on which day I arrived at Hobonet's Gate, where I was received by Madame de Grignon with open arms, and with so much joy, affection and gratitude that I thought I had not come soon enough nor from a sufficiently great distance. After this, sir, tell me that friendship is not a fine thing. It makes me often think of you and wish to see you here once more during my life. We shall be here the whole of this winter and the next summer. If you do not find a moment to come and see us, I shall think you have forgotten me. You will not know this house again, it is so much improved, but you will find its owners still abounding with esteem for you. And me, sir, possessing regard for you, capable of driving our friend to madness, and worthy of your paying us this visit. Letter 13, Grignon, June the 5th, 1695 I intend, sir, to bring an action against you, and thus I set about it. I wish you to judge it yourself. I've been here more than a year with my daughter, for whom I have as much love as ever. Since that time, you've no doubt heard of the marriage of that Marquis de Grignon to Mademoiselle de Saint-Mont. You've seen her often enough at Montpellier to be acquainted with her person you have also heard mention of the vast wealth of her father. You were not ignorant that this marriage was solemnised with great pomp in the chateau which you know. I suppose you cannot have forgotten the time when the true esteem we have always preserved for you began. On this subject, I measure your sentiments by my own, and I judge that we, not having forgotten you, you cannot have forgotten us. I even include Monsieur de Grignon, whose date is still more ancient than ours. I collect all these things, and I find myself injured on every side. I complain of it here, I complain of it to our friends, I complain of it to our dear Cobinelli, the jealous, confidant and witness of all the esteem and friendship we bear you. And at length, sir, I complain of it to yourself. Whence proceeds this silence? Is it from forgetfulness? From perfect indifference? I know not which to say. What would you have me think? What does your conduct resemble? Give a name to it, sir. The cause is now ready for your sentence. Pass it. I consent that you should be both party and judge, Grignan, Saturday, February 4th, 1696. I was right, sir, when I supposed you will be concerned at my anxiety and would use all the diligence in your power to relieve it. Monsieur Barbarac's prescription and your letter had wings, as you wished. And it seems that this little fever which appeared so low had wings too, for... It vanished at the mere mention of Monsieur Barbarac's name. Seriously, so there is something miraculous in this sudden change, and I cannot doubt that your wishes and your prayers contributed to produce it. Judge of my gratitude by their effect. My daughter goes halves with me in all I say here. She returns you a thousand thanks and and entreats you to give a great many to Monsieur Babarac, We are happy in having no longer anything to do but to take patience and rhubarb, which he finds agree well with her. We doubt not that in this quiet state rhubarb is a medicine which Monsieur Barberac must approve, with a regimen which is sometimes better than all. Thank God, sir, both for yourself and for us. For we are certain that you are interested in this acknowledgement, and then, sir, cast your eyes upon all the inhabitants of the chateau, and judge of their sentiments for you. End of section 45